I want to take a quick second to say thank you. Thank you to all of you tuning in, to those of you that have been supporting this podcast since the beginning. Your love and continued support means the world to me. And you know what I would love more than anything is if you could share this podcast with your friends and family and anyone that you think would get something out of it. By being able to give this to more people helps the podcast out, helps me be able to keep creating this for you. So make sure you're subscribed so you get all the new episodes each and every week, as well as if you could leave a review you letting me know why you listen and what you love about the podcast, that would be amazing. Okay, today on the podcast, I have my Instagram twin friend, Shirley Hagel on. We, I don't even remember how it started. And I think we talk a little bit about it in the episode, but we're basically the same person just living in different countries on the opposite side of the continent. But we even have like almost matching tattoos. Both have our nose pierced. What else? We have like the same necklace. I think that was the first thing I noticed was the necklace that she was wearing. That was the same one as mine. And we both talk about openly about anxiety. So this is such a fun episode. This is the first time that Shirley and I actually sat down and chatted one-on-one besides Instagram message. We talk about growing up in a religious upbringing and a conservative religious upbringing, our experience with that how it's shaped us now. We also taught we are both in the hair industry. We both have been self-employed. Talk about the pros and cons of that. We also talk about being self-employed and going back to being employed and sometimes what that, why people choose to do that and why it can actually be a better thing. So this is a jam-packed episode you don't want to miss. You're listening to the Anxious Creative Podcast, episode 23. I overthink, I overshare, and I overanalyze. So come explore with me as I chat about business, life, and relationships all through the lens of an anxious creative. Okay, I'm here with Shirley Hagel. Welcome. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. And you're not even a newbie to podcasts because you just were on another podcast. I know. I feel like I could make a whole thing of this. Yeah. So let's tell tell people a little bit about yourself. Oh, a little bit about myself. I'm a hairstylist and I have been for 14 years. I'm a runner. I live in New York. I'm from Florida originally. Mm-hmm. What else do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we connected, what, through Instagram? Yes. And my this might not be our first connection, but my first memory was I think I, I just like creeped you one day or something. I like saw that you liked a photo of mine. And then I was like, this girl's my twin. Like, I think it was our anxiety necklaces. Oh, yeah. And, I was and like, I'm not wearing mine right I'm now. I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was, and then like just the way you talked and like your demeanor, I was like, I think we're twins separated at birth. Yes. And then it just like creepily got more and more alike. <laughs> I know the more I like got to know you, the more I, I was telling one of my friends about you, the friend I just had here. And I was like, I think I say same to her at least once a week when you post something. Totally. Well, then it was like, I was like, oh, you have a heart tattooed on your wrist. Oh my God. Like, oh, oh, we both have clear glasses frames. Yeah. Right. Tattoos. then I started listening to your podcast and I was like, whoa, we have some really crazy parallels. Yeah, that which that's one thing we were going to chat about. So let's just not dive into like, or let's dive into like the deep stuff. So we were both brought up in 
conservative evangelical Christianity. Tell me a bit about your childhood years and that. Yeah. So I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian home. Um, My parents were not crazy strict. Um, I'm also, it should be noted that I'm number four of the kids. Hmm. So by the time I came along, they were starting to be a little more lax than they were with my siblings. Um, But I mean, church every Sunday, youth group, you know, every Wednesday and every Sunday night. And actually my dad did sound. My dad um, was a sound engineer all my life. And he did sound for a Christian organization called Christ in Youth, which was basically like church camp, but like cool. So they happened at college, they happened on college campuses and the like cool Christian bands would be there. I feel like and that's evangelical Christianity in a nutshell. It's the yes. cool, it's like packaged as the cool. Christianity. Yeah. Right. The churches with coffee shops and stuff like that. And I say, I bring that up to say, that's what my summer vacation was, was traveling with my dad every summer, basically being at church camp all summer long. It was just such a huge part of my life. Um, and then, but I, and I say they were a little more lax with me because it was like, my mom would say to me, you know, you can't watch it. Or she wouldn't say you can't watch MTV, but she would be like, I think it's inappropriate and you can make a decision about whether you want to listen to it or watch it. So yeah, I, um, I grew up from the time I was in like middle school, high school, kind of knowing I wanted to go to Bible college. Like I was in it and I loved it. Mm-hmm, me too. Um, I, I remember crying, wanting to go to Bible college. My parents wouldn't, wouldn't send me cause my dad thought it was a waste of money because it wasn't going to further my education. And now in hindsight, I'm like, thank you for not sending me. I actually went for a year and a half. And then I was like, well, I don't want to be a teacher, a music minister, or like... like, Leroy, that's that's the mailman. (laughs) Leroy, come here, bud. Come on. Um, oh, I wish I wish that I was in the same place as you physically so that I could see Leroy. Um, oh, shoot. You didn't want to be a minister or... Oh, yes. I realized that like as a female at Bible college, there's about three things you can do. So I was like, decided to go to the one of the top 10 party schools in the States <laughs> <laughs> to finish my degree. Um, I, well, did people call it bridal college? Oh my gosh. No, but they said you went there to get your MRS degree. So yeah. I feel like that goes right along with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard bridal college. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about, um, was there one singular event that had you start to question? I don't want to put words in your mouth, question your faith or consider like, tell me about your journey away from that and And yeah, just tell me a bit about that. Yeah. So I think, I think that there was part of me and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but looking back, I think there was part of me that was always kind of questioning everything, even though I was really in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, so I almost got married when I was 20 and by almost, I mean, he, we were not engaged, but he had like purchased my ring and broke up with me instead thank God. And that really freaked. I feel like that happening all of a sudden I was crazy heartbroken, like 
physically ill. Like I was so devastated because that guy was my first everything. And I just thought, you know, the world I was in, like now I have nothing left, you know, all Mm -hmm. this stuff. And I can remember being really, really, really heartbroken and figuring out like, okay, what am I doing? Where am I going? And ultimately that led me to Tallahassee, Florida, um, to go to Florida state university, which led me to my first Aveda salon, which really, and the people that I met there. And all of a sudden I met this group of people that had kind of grown up in an even stricter Christian world than I had grown up in Mm -hmm. and they were out of it. And they kind of showed me that you can be a really good human being and not be a Christian. <laughs> like they showed me that there was another way to see the world. Yeah. And and that um oh how do I even say like they just, <laughs> excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> this is um, as real as it gets people. <laughs> I love it so much. Um yeah they kind of just like opened my eyes to the fact that you can do good and be good. And all of a sudden I started seeing, wow, like these people that aren't in church every Sunday are doing so much good in the world. And, and it just, that's sort of what started the like exploration of, you know, reading different books and talking to different types of people. And all of a sudden I was just seeing the world in a way I'd never seen it before because I had been so just in this little bubble. Totally. I always say, I remember, I remember having this questioning time, but I didn't feel like I could question it when I was in high school and thinking about hearing someone say like, if people don't have Jesus in their heart, then they're going to hell. And I remember thinking my friend so-and-so like is a way better human being than me. Like I remember recognizing a lot of my faults and how I was like a shitty friend sometimes. And this other person wasn't a Christian, quote unquote. I don't know what what she believed, but to Mm -hmm. me, I didn't think she was a Christian. And I remember thinking she's a better human, but, but I have this magic ticket. Like, I don't that like, how does that work? Yeah. How does that work? But then being like, well, I'm just called to believe. So just kind of brushing it aside. Um, But that whole, like, so my transformation has only happened in really, the last seven years for sure, like most of it in the last four and the whole like struggle with shame and guilt and feeling like five years ago, Dawn would be judging present Dawn so much. So that anxiety that came with knowing how I used to think and fearing all the people from my past still thinking that way of me, like thinking Mm -hmm. that I've, I'm a lost soul that I just need to figure shit out that. And I've had someone say that to me before, like, Oh, you just need to work through a few more things. You'll come back around, which is like, (laughs) It's really fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. But realizing like, I didn't realize that there could be good people. Yeah. Like ethical, integral people outside of it because I was just not taught. And I don't want to say this across the board of all like evangelical Christianity, but I think it happens in any religion that I don't, and I don't want to say, well, maybe fundamentalist would be what I grew up in. I'm not sure. But, um, it can vary from congregation to congregation or location, but totally. how I just really absorbed things and took things as truth and I didn't question and <clears throat> thinking that, yeah, if you were outside this bubble, you were somehow inherently evil or bad. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, goodness gracious, I lost my train of thought again. Um, 
this is a topic I haven't talked about in de- in like depth in a really long time. So mm-hmm. my brain is just going like 90 places. Um, oh, this is what I was gonna say. I remember when I first started kind of exploring the like, my beliefs I think are changing. What is it? What do I believe now? What do I want? You know, I I can remember first being like, it's not the people that I have an issue with. It's like the institution of church that became the, the thing I had the biggest problem mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. And I decided to kind of step out of it a little bit. And then I remember at some point I went to church after I had not been in a while and the pastor of this particular church, I ended up seeing him at the coffee shop later that week or maybe a couple weeks later or something. Um, and I can remember him looking at me and being like, oh, I know you. I know your story. I like he like instantly felt like he be like he knew everything about me because I was this person that grew up in the church and then decided not to be and I have, you know, tattoos and blah blah. And I can remember just being like, what? Like, you don't know me at all, first of all. And that was the last time I ever went to church because I was just like, Mm. the judge, the judgment was the thing that I was just like, I can't deal. Like I cannot deal. I don't know. Yeah. And isn't it funny? Like I think back and I don't know if, and I've talked a lot with my therapist about this. I don't remember a sermon saying that we, like it all was about not judging people and it was all about loving people. And so the content, but there was this implicit like self-righteousness and, Mm -hmm. oh, we're not judging the person, we're judging the sin. And like this kind of like sneaky manipulative way to be like, oh, actually we're totally judging you. Um, and, but like, it was like a passive aggressive, that's the only way I can th- say, like, put it into words, a passive aggressive way. So that if someone's like, you're judging me, it's like, oh no, I'm not, ju- well, I'm not judging you. I'm loving you by letting you know your sins. And I'm loving you by making you aware of where you're going astray. And it's like, no, fuck off. Like, yeah, fuck off. But love the, what did they used to say? Love the, love sin, the sinner, or hate love the, the sin. Yeah. It's that like. Um, and I don't want to, you know, like I, I can sometimes get, you know, I'll be like, I'm not judgmental unless you're super religious, then I'm judgmental (laughs) and it's a struggle, you know, it's a balance. And I am the first to admit that I'm still figuring it out and trying to navigate and I'm human and I have downfalls, but unfortunately due to my experience, um, and the way I was raised and, um, the way I perceived things, because I never want to say people made me believe this or people or a church made me think this, but the way it was delivered and the way I received it, I know people who grew up very similar to me and have very different experiences, right? Absolutely, 100%. And I feel like to a certain degree, I'm still navigating as well because there's people very close to me that are still very much in the church and still very much believe exactly how we always did. I mean, very close people in my life are still that. And I, I do really want to be like an open-minded person that genuinely is like, you do you and I'll do me and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this, like, I struggle with that part. Like I struggle with the, like, I want, I've always wanted to, you <laughs> I've always wanted, <laughs> I've always wanted people to let me be me. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind myself that if I'm going to want people to be that way towards me, then I need to be that way towards them. 
Um, and I think the farther I've gotten from the church, the easier it's become mm-hmm. because at, at first when I wasn't in church, I felt really defensive. Like I felt mm. incredible. Like I had to like, I don't know how else to say it other than I just felt very defensive. And the farther I get away, the more I'm like, as long as what you're doing isn't like hurting someone else, then do you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I'm getting at other than the fact that like, I definitely think it's still a journey and still something that even, you know, I'm kind of exploring too. Totally. I think when I first kind of like when I don't even know when it happened, it's been like such a step-by-step journey. I think my divorce was really a turning point where I was like, I didn't believe in divorce. I didn't believe, you know, and unless like I had, I remember, I remember just like praying that he would hit me. Mm. Cause like if I had physical proof, then, then other people would be more okay with this instead of like knowing that internally, like there's no way God wants you to stay in an unhealthy relationship. I don't believe that. Now I'm sure some people may be listening that are like completely disgusted with our whole conversation. (laughs) I know. I realize, (laughs) but like, I don't want to offend anyone. No. And I, I think that's why you were saying like defensiveness. Like I remember when I first kind of like went away from the church and, and things like that was like trying to justify it to people, letting them know why I wasn't there and being like, I don't, I'm still on this journey. I'm navigating it. I don't know what I think. I don't know what I believe. Um, like that sort of stuff. Like it's, I, and, and it's and learning that it's okay to be in that place and it's yeah. okay. And like my boyfriend of all people who he's a minister has been the one to encourage me. He's like, don't rush through this. Like you're doing some really hard work. And he's like, if you were ignoring this, then I'd be concerned, but you're really trying to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but yeah, there was a time where I was like, how can anyone stay in this belief system? Don't you guys <laughs> see? And like, you know, like almost yeah. gone from like witnessing the four spiritual law books and like trying to con- like, how how do you guys not be Christians? How are you not becoming this way to the other side of like, no guys, like get out of it. And like yeah. trying to find, and then, you know, like you kind of slowly like get the balance a little bit. And totally, I always say like totally. what Jesus taught is some really great things some really, really amazing things. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite books, The Power of Now, um, Eckhart Tolle, I don't know if it's Tolle or Tolle. Tolle, um, I think. Is it Tolle? Um, I just love, I love that he references like all the like spiritual teachers from, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's just like, it's not to say, I don't know, there's a lot of good stuff to be learned from a lot of different Things I don't know. I uh, I was telling Nick recently how I had a client who was Sikh, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know anything about Sikh. Like, tell me about it." And I was saying, "Like, oh, I really appreciate like what that religion is about." And he's like, "Oh, tell me what it's about." And I'm like, "Well, it's really about like loving everyone and being tolerant." And I kind of was like going on, and I was like, "I guess it's like what Christianity is supposed to be as well." <laughs> and I and but and then I said to him like, "But unfortunately, my experience because I once again I don't ever want to put this on like a whole belief system because Christianity in and of itself is like very broad and there are different extremes and there are different beliefs within it." And mm-hmm. but realizing, oh, okay, so my experience is this, and it's okay that my experience leads me somewhere else. And what I believe now, I I think, or like my current state is. Like our lives are take our life takes us all in different directions and we can all find our own truth in one way or the other. 
And yeah. it's not about trying to get everyone into the same place. Totally. I don't know. Does that make totally. sense? Um, it does make sense. This is maybe a too personal of a question and feel free to dodge it. But were you taught like sex before marriage is super bad? Oh, yes. And I was. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and did you have sex before you were married? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So the answer is yes. And the answer is yes. Um, I can remember. So that first serious boyfriend that I met at Bible college. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember, well, I'll rewind and say, so I mentioned before that I'm the youngest of four mm-hmm. and two of my four siblings both got married really young for that exact reason. Because if you want to live together, then you, and if you want to live together and if you want to have sex, you have to get married. And so I'm really, uh, you know, I hate that they had to experience something so that I didn't, but I'm also (laughs) like, thanks guys. You took one for the team because I think I learned a lot from watching my my siblings because they both are divorced. Um, now the, the takeaways, they have kids that from those marriages that are, you know, some of the great, you know, I freaking love my nieces and my nephew and they wouldn't be if it wasn't for that. But my sister got married before she was even 21 years old because everyone in her, like her group of friends was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so then when I was 20, I almost did the exact same thing. We did have sex before we got married. And I can remember I was teaching, I was teaching, this is so bad. I was teaching, um, fifth grade Sunday school at the time. <laughs> and I could remember being feeling so guilty <laughs> I remember like going to Sunday school, like we would literally like, this is so whatever I'm saying it anyways, we'd like have sex before church. (laughs) (laughs) And I can remember just thinking, oh my God, Shirley, you're the worst person in the entire world. Um, and, but part of me being like, but, but fuck it. Like, you know, you're supposed to, you only live once anyways. But then when we broke up, it got, I felt very like, oh my God, there's nothing. Like I have nothing to give because in the moment I was like, of course I should have sex. Um, this is a person I'm going to spend forever with. Yeah. And then, yeah. So then after that, I went like, I don't know. It was definitely, I felt guilt after, like after we broke up, I did not feel guilty, like really guilty during. Mm -hmm. And then when we broke up, I was like, Oh my God, I, what am I, what have I done? And then of course I grew past that. And it's funny, even my mom and I couldn't even, like my mom and I didn't even talk about sex, nothing until legit. I was dating my husband and my husband and I were living together. And my mom at this point, she of course knows that like we live together. And now I, at that point I was like older. And so of course we're having sex. You'd be crazy if you weren't, that's insane. And, but she still made the joke when she came over to our place. Cause it was a one bedroom. So she's like, we're showing her around and she's like, So where's the second bedroom joking? Because at this point we were there, but I realized that her joking about that was the first time we had ever actually talked about sex. And that probably there was a part of her that wanted to believe that you weren't. Yeah, probably. And yeah, it's crazy. And you know, I got to say about, um, and I absolutely know she's going to listen to this. My mom, (laughs) (laughs) because that's how she is. Shout out to my mom. But I think, you know, she's grown a ton as a person too. And it's actually very cool to see someone in their sixties. Like she's still very much, um, 
a believer and very much a Christian, but I do think that she is far more open-minded than she was when I was growing up. And that I think is awesome. And so, because I've been able to be like, mom, that, I mean, you should be having sex. I'm sorry. And you should absolutely have sex with someone that you like, you should never get married without having sex. And I am a firm believer. Uh, Me too. Um, I got married because I had sex. (gasps) Yeah. I felt, and like hindsight, obviously in the, in the moment I wasn't thinking that, but there was so much guilt and shame of being like this. I like, I, I had a true love waits Bible. I like signed a thing saying I was going to save myself to marriage. Like it was like purity, everything. Uh, and I didn't realize that boys don't receive the same treatment, but that it's really heavily on girls. Yeah. Boys don't get taught about it the same way that we like our virginity doesn't belong to us. Our purity is what makes us valuable. Um, so, you know, and that was all like implicitly taught to me, not like in those words, but that's definitely the message that I received, um, in, I had a promise ring. Yeah. I didn't have a promise ring. Unfortunately, nobody really wanted to date me for a really long time. (laughs) Well, Um, my promise ring was like from my parents. It wasn't from like, yeah, my parents. And I'm actually really bummed about it because it's a ring that I really wish that I could still wear because the diamonds in it are from the engagement ring that my dad gave to my mom mm-hmm. and my parents are no longer to, longer together, but it's a ring that I, I wish that those that di- like, I need to just take the diamonds out and do something with them, but it feels very, very like, like, like tainted. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But yeah, it was from my parents. Wow. Weird. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick break to share something with you. I recently launched seven key steps to grow your clientele and wanted to make sure you've got it. And if you haven't, it's available for free over on dbfreebie.com. And you guys, I know that these steps work. And the reason why I know they work is because these are the steps that got me fully booked months in advance in under three months of moving to Calgary. I've done the trial and error and believe me, I want to make sure you don't have to. I'm so excited to be sharing this with you. So if you're ready to be fully booked months in advance, head on over to dbfreebie.com. I don't remember having any sort of conversation about sex with my parents. I just knew through church and through youth group um, and maybe like, I don't remember any exact moments, but just being told like, you're not supposed to have sex. And like that implied like women, oh, it was all about like, boys don't know how to control themselves. Yes. So like bullshit. I'm sorry. It's- Fuck that. It's like, oh, and like that it's our responsibility to like dress super conservatively because they can't control themselves. Yeah. And that that's something I was just thinking about the other day. And I get so riled up about this, like the shaming that goes on about women's bodies and how sexualized our bodies are, but we never shame men for, or maybe it happens maybe a, a bit, but not to the amount. And I heard someone say once they were taking their, they have sons and they took their sons to a swimming pool and she's the mom and she's like I can't believe these little girls that were in bikinis like they don't need to be wearing bikinis and I was like I want to be like why not like your sons don't have shirts on and they're in shorts like what's so wrong about a little girl being in a bikini it's not a sexual thing but we've been um, and why are you making it that way that's worse especially as a woman yeah that's what I mean like why are you making the fact that she's in a bikini you're the one that's sexualizing that like yeah but isn't that, it funny how like even 
our, as our, as females ourselves, we shame other women yeah. or like if a girl's showing cleavage or, you know, like, Oh, like she blah, 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 blah. But like, we don't do that to men. No, not at all. Um, and I've, I think I've told you to read the purity myth. That is such a good oh, book. I need to write that down. So I don't forget you. I wish I could hand it to you right now. It's Gina divine was the one who told me to read it and it revolutionized my life. Like it talks a lot against certain Christian organizations that I grew up heavily involved with. Um, but it shone a light and a perspective on things that I never had even thought about things differently. And so to kind of full circle, when I got divorced, I remember thinking like, shit, like I left my husband. It was unhealthy. It wasn't good. I don't need to go into detail on my podcast about it, (laughs) but I know, I remember thinking like, there's no way God would want me to stay in this situation. Um, but because I was the one that chose to leave, um, then I felt like I was the bad person. A lot of people wouldn't make eye contact with me anymore, wouldn't talk with me. Um, people make assumptions. Someone once said, like, maybe you and your husband should have tried counseling. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you for thinking that you know anything that went on inside of our marriage. Like, yeah. what an assumption what? to make. One, we did go to counseling. And yeah. two, like, don't think you... What I always tell people, what you don't know, you don't know. So, right. what, what you know is only what people have allowed you to know. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking there's no way the kind of man that I want to date will date me now because I'm damaged goods. Like yeah. one, I'm not a virgin anymore. Two, I'm divorced. That's a big no-no. Mm-hmm. And like three, I I left. And so when I remember going to church one day and they like did, the, I forget what verse it was, but it was like basically how unless your husband dies, you're still like your souls are tied or something and how like <sighs> women, the woman can't get remarried or something like that. And it just, it took me a long time. That was very traumatic in a way, like not that it was like a life or death situation, but it, I remember like kind of questioning my belief system, but then like feeling like this can't be right but this is what I've been told my whole life by people in authority and yeah. people, you know, that were leading me spiritually. I'm so confused. And then thinking like, well, I don't deserve the life that I want now because I fucked it up too much, you know? And they like the implicit shame. I remember someone having to stand up once in front of the church and apologize for getting pregnant. Just the girl. I'm sorry, but that is traumatizing and really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> so all in all to say, I just think, my life experiences brought me to a place and, and I struggled because I bumped into someone once uh, a couple years after and they asked if I was going to get remarried. And I was like, no, like I have no desire to get married again. I'm happy in my relationship. And she's like, oh, well, you just need to work through a few more things. And nope. that one hurt because like, yeah. How dare you think, like, I I don't judge people who are married. I think marriage is a great thing. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I had a really bad experience with it. Yeah, um, yeah, And I don't think a legal piece of paper has much to do with a commitment and union with someone. I think yeah. like, like it's just so anyway, I could go off on that oh. for a really long time. <laughs> no, totally. And as a married person, it's so funny. I never thought I would be a married person after I didn't get married when I was 20. Mm-hmm. I actually dated my husband for an entire year before I would be his girlfriend because I, I didn't want to be an exclusive relationship. I was like, I don't want to be somebody's like, somebody. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there were also other things around it. He was in a pretty dark place in his life. His father had just passed. And I was just like, you don't have any, you have no business having to like worry about another human being in that, to that level right now. Like Mm -hmm. you just experienced something really tragic. And so it's funny because I, I never thought that I wanted to get married after that. And 
I don't think he ever felt like he would be a married person either. All, all of a sudden it just sort of felt like the thing, the right thing to do for us. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. People are always surprised when they hear that I'm married, which I sort of make, it kind of makes me feel good. Cause I'm <laughs> like, what do I look too? Do I seem too cool to be married? Good. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny. I don't know. I think my whole thing is I just feel just sort of, it seems too simplistic to say, but just in general, I feel like do you like totally. do what is good for you because life is short. You only get one of them. And if you should just be doing what a makes you happy and B, what is good for your soul and the people around you. Totally. Like, I don't know. And I know that's very simple, but I really believe that. Yeah, no, I think so too. Like when people try to push what they think and believe on other people, it's like, I, I want to say like, I'm really happy that your experiences have led you to this place to think and believe this. And I think that's wonderful. My experiences have led me to a different place. And just like, cause I'm big on analogies, just like you can take different routes to end up at the same place. I think that's the same with life. Totally. Like, and that gives me peace. Yes, it's true. I, I think this is like, gets really deep or whatever, but no, it's one it. of those, it's one of those things where like, we only have our perspective. Like you have only, you're, you have only, you only see the world through your eyes mm -hmm. and your eyes have only like your, your journey has been very specific to you and you see things really differently than everyone else. Even just you know, use an analogy colors. Mm -hmm. We all like, we have this towel in our house that we cannot agree on what color it is. And it, it makes me so aware that, that like we see color completely mm -hmm. differently. One of my best friends is colorblind and it's so such like a stupid thing I do to him, but I'm like, Hey, what color is this? <laughs> and, but it really gets me thinking about how he literally sees the world different than I do because he sees colors completely differently. And I think that everything is like that. We all only have our own experience. And so I think all of our beliefs are coming from, you know, this, we've only seen things through our lens. I yeah. I remember someone using the analogy of like, we all see the world, but we all wear different pairs of glasses. So yes. our vision is different, but I just thought of this one, like say there's four of us sitting around a table, one on each side, and there's a Rubik's cube in the middle. The way I describe to you, what I see is going to be like, oh, there's a lot of red and yellow and a little bit of blue. But then you might be like, no, there's a ton of blue. Cause the side that you see is different and how like, we're all looking at the same thing but the perspective that we see it at is very different. And so a hundred percent, like that makes so much sense being to me. And that makes sense in my head to be like, we can, it's hard to agree when we're all seeing the same thing with very different views. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think the best thing to learn is like, let me come around to your side. Oh, and that was a big thing I had to learn was like learning or listening and understanding other people's point of views does not mean I have to agree with it. But yes. growing up the way I did, it was kind of this fear of if you listened and tried to understand someone else's perspective, it meant that you were agreeing. But that's not the case. Like, I always try to under yeah. understand other people. And I wanted, you know, I'm human and like, I'm not perfect. But 
like trying to be like, okay, put myself in their shoes or like explain to me more because I'm not understanding and like teach me more because at the end of the day, I might learn something, I might grow in a different way, or it'll solidify my my point of view or where my standpoint. But it's I think it's so good to have conversations with people you disagree with. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you only have conversations with people that believe the exact same thing as you, you don't learn much. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's really unhealthy. It is. It is. It um, totally is. But it's so hard. I think I used to get so defensive and been like, don't challenge what I'm thinking. Don't challenge, you know? Yeah. And I'm not a very good debater. Mm. I When I get emotional, I am... Uh, I lose my ability to articulate my thoughts. <laughs> so I've never been a good debater. So for a long time, I would just like avoid any kind of, you know, confrontation about, you know, Anything. what Yeah. Cause I'm like, I don't want to argue, yeah. but I think, I think having conversations that make you think are very important. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing is like learning just to have conversations rather than arguing. Absolutely. And then if someone can't, can't have a conversation, then it's just not worth it. No, because it wouldn't get anywhere anyways. Um, I feel like we have spent so much time on religion, (laughs) but I love it. (laughs) I didn't want, cause we've been chatting for a while, but I didn't want to get into it until we recorded it. Cause I thought it'd be so good. Oh Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's so, you know, for a long time, I felt like there's no way that anyone gets this or understands this and feeling like really alone in the world being like nobody, all my friends now that I'm friends or like close friends with either didn't grow up in a similar upbringing. So they don't see or understand that part. And I don't know how to chat with them about it. Or I have really close friends that are still in that and don't necessarily understand um, or think I am maybe too progressive or things like that especially because I'm living with my boyfriend. We're not married and he's a minister. Like he's not (laughs) real. Like I remember someone being like, Oh, United church. Like he's not really Christian. And I was like, okay, like that. I can't even respond to that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. What? Oh my God. Um, so it was really, it's a really lonely place to be in. And I think the more like I've connected with you and finding out similarities and it's so nice to feel understood. Right. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. It's so true. I forget how bad or not forget, but I, yeah, I forget sometimes how much I want to be understood. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I like, I don't even know where I was going with that, but. I think we the, all crave it. And so yeah. for a long time, I was like, there's no way that there's people like this, like me, that I'm still very open spiritually because I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of people leave church and just cut off completely. And I un- rightfully so when they've had very bad experiences, but there's got to be more than just us out there. And I hope somebody listening might, and even if it's just for one person, yeah, be able to reach out to either of us and chat. Yeah. I remember, I remember my mom really being like freaked out that I wasn't going to church anymore because I think she thought that meant that I didn't believe anything. And all mm. of a sudden now I, I must have this like, and I'm not putting words in her mouth, but I just I can remember assuming that she thought I must have like a black heart now, you know, and whatever. And so I gave her this, the book, the power of now, because I felt like that was the best way to kind of summarize the fact that like, I do have beliefs. They're just different than the ones I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And I wanted her to get that. And it made a huge, it made a huge difference because all of it. And I think, I don't know if she read it. I don't know if she read some of it, 
but I do know that our relationship has grown to where she gets that I'm a spiritual person and that I have beliefs. They're just different than the ones I grew up in. Yeah. And do you see a lot of the parallels between like, you probably believe a very at the, at its core, the very same thing, but you use a different vocabulary. Absolutely. I absolutely still pray, but now I call it meditation. I absolutely still like, you know, I, I say, you know, the universe instead of God, you know, it's, it's all, I absolutely believe that there are like bigger things going on. I just don't think it's the God that I pictured when I was growing up. Right. And I remember being like, if I don't do my devotions every day, like I can't ask, God won't answer my prayers. And I had this very, um, uh, like give and take thought of like, God won't, God is love. God is grace. But at the same time, like if I really wanted to be an honorable Christian or have God's favor, I really needed to do these things. And I felt guilty if I didn't do devotions every day, which I like would maybe do them for like a week straight and then like fall off or like friends that burnt their secular music. Like they threw out all their CDs. Yeah. You did that? We had a, yes. We had a <laughs> CD breaking party at my youth group one, one night. Oh my gosh. We bought all of our music and broke it all. Oh, I didn't yeah. do that. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. I can see the room I was in. I can literally like go there. Weird. So crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like, and I feel like we could chat about this forever, but it's, it's finding. And like, maybe that works for some people, which is great and wonderful, but it didn't work for me. Same. And, and because of life, you know, if some people haven't had to go through some of the traumas that we've gone through, then maybe they don't, you know, they haven't had any of that stuff challenged, which is wonderful for them. Mm, totally. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, let's, let's change subjects. Cause that was pretty heavy. I loved yeah. it. It's great. Um, I want to get into, cause knowing a bit more about your career, I love like, seriously, just parallel lives, both hairstylists. I forgot you worked with Aveda. I worked with Aveda for 10 years. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I worked, um, I worked in their global headquarters in London, England too, like under, underneath Anthony, Antoinette Benders, Benders and um, oh my God. Ian, Ian Michael Black. Yeah. They like worked upstairs and then I was in the salon downstairs where there's like 60 stylists and this is brand new information to me. I had no idea. <laughs> so this is like a really humbling moment for me when I moved to London, I was 21. I had just become like fully red seal certified licensed here in Canada. I don't know if in the States you guys have a similar thing, but. I like got out of hair school, went into a salon, had to put in, I forget, 1400 hours before I took like another test. And then, so I'd gotten that. I was, I think I'd like just had a contest with my boss and like I had brought in the most revenue that month out of all the stylists and I was 21. Like it was insane. So I was doing really well. I was probably a little bit, had a little bit of pride. Not that I was like the best hairdresser. I was just bringing in the most money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, a big yeah. difference. There is. Um, so then I went over to England, pretty cocky. I'd like developed some film of pictures of clients, you know, like from like, I can't, like there was no digital cameras yes. yet. And I had I can this, remember printing them out. Yeah. And I like had them in an album. It was my like little portfolio, which was so like not a portfolio at all. Yeah. And I applied online and I walked up and it was like this huge Aveda place. And I was like, 
I thought I was just going to like take a break from life and like work in a pub, but I was like, well, I should like look at a salon or something. At least I have the skill. Yeah. So I got an interview and they're like, come do a trades test. I didn't even know what a blowout was. Like all I knew was to like rough dry hair, maybe round brush it, but always just put curls in it. I didn't know how to do like a proper, like that had not been taught to me at all. So I like bombed this like trades test. Of course, like I look back and I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing, especially in like Europe has a way different way of doing things. Oh, and so yeah. they're like, and you what, know, t- what year was this? Like what time frame are we in? 2005. Okay. Yeah. So then uh, they're like, you know what? We don't have any positions open for stylists right now, which is <laughs> they just like, I wasn't, I didn't pass. They're like, but if you want, you can be an assistant. And I remember this whole like, oh, like an assistant, like. I'm sorry. I was doing really well at my salon back home. Like, but I remember phoning my parents and being like, this could feels like a step back, but this could really launch me forward. So then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take it. So I just assisted. I washed hair, I blow dried hair and I just observed. And that was probably the best decision and career move I ever made. And it was by accident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I drank the Kool-Aid of Aveda for a very long time. I say that. I say I drank the Kool-Aid a long time ago. Because <laughs> um, I remember thinking like anything outside of Aveda, I was like, sorry, yeah. like that's not that good. <laughs> I'm kind of like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, not that I'm trying to, to to lure you in a different direction, but I was like, oh my God, there's so many amazing things out there. Like I had no it's idea. True. No, um, it's true. But, I will, sorry. sorry. No, I was going to say I I sort of my journey with Aveda was sort of um I didn't go to the Aveda Institute so I went to a different school that wasn't affiliated with any particular product line Mm -hmm. and then a little bit into my career found my way into an Aveda salon and and worked there for like six years and then I did take a little Aveda break Mm -hmm. so in my Aveda like um love affair there was a time where I wasn't working with it And I did have that moment where I was like, oh my God, there's other stuff out there. Ultimately, I did find my way back to Aveda just because I really love their color. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other conversation. But yeah, it's funny. I joke about it. Which I was going to say, so you went self-employed for three years. Tell me me a little bit about that. What was the things you loved about it? What didn't you love about it? Yeah, um, I feel like I have to preface that by saying I moved to New York, which is, which... I, I had been working in Tallahassee, Florida at a salon that I absolutely adored. And if I could have packed them up and moved them to New York with me, I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't an option at the time. So when I got to New York, I started interviewing places and I just wasn't finding somewhere that I felt like that click that I had in Tallahassee. So I had two clients that in New York that were clients of mine from Florida. And when I got here, they said, um, Oh my God, you're here. You have to do my hair again. And I said, okay, cool. I'm not set up anywhere yet, but I would happily come to you and do your hair. So I went to, and they weren't friends with each other or anything. They were in totally different worlds. And I, so I went to their apartments and I did their hair and both of them were like, Oh my God, you have to do this. Because in New York, anything that can be delivered is it's like, bring it on, you know, mm-hmm. any, any way that our lives can be a little bit easier here. Um, we want, 
And so both of them were like, there were just things that they loved about, you know, they could sit on their computers and get work done. They could drink wine. They could have their friends over. They could, you know, the the first place that they were seeing their hair color was in the bare bathroom, which was where they were going to look at their hair color all the time. So that's sort of how it started. And I, the things I loved about it to answer your question, finally, um, of course, the freedom of my schedule was probably the thing I loved the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the one-on-one time I had with my clients that um, I felt like was uninterrupted. I, you know, cause I had been coming from double booking, which is what I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had been, you know, double booking and in the salon environment and it just felt much more like intimate and I could focus. And I started having consultations before appointments because I had to bring stuff with me. Um, and I felt like my consultations got better that during this time, ultimately I decided to go back, back to the salon world. It was largely because, well, you know, I was traveling to people, which is a little different than having like a space of your own. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have, I didn't have the right chair. I didn't have the right sink. I didn't have these like things that really make it easier for me to give you good hair. Um, and to be really honest, the taxes part of it was killing me. Like Mm -hmm. dealing with, dealing with the IRS was just something that I'm not good at. I'm not good at numbers. And so I was kind of, and you know, New York is expensive and hard. And I was trying to build this thing completely on my own in a crazy city to do that. And I also really missed a beta hair color. So mm. this is super long winded, but, um, so it was kind of all, all of that. Like I wanted to get back into a team. I wanted a beta hair color. I didn't want to book my own appointments anymore. I didn't want to order color anymore. <laughs> yeah, I didn't <laughs> like want to do it all. I just didn't want to do it all. And so I sacrificed the freedom of schedule for that. And yeah, I was long winded. I'm sorry. No, I think that's great because I think a lot of the times when people go self-employed, they're like, I'm going to make, I'm going to keep all the money. And that was my yeah. mis- or not misconception, but that was my perception of it. And then realizing like, oh, the reason why they take that cut of a commission is because they schedule our appointments. They order the color. They provide the color. They (laughs) take the taxes off my check. Like there is, it wasn't until I was self-employed that I realized how much work that like keeping all that money actually cost me. Like, yeah, you can work the same 40 hours a week with clients, but then you're also putting in that extra hours of times to put your orders away, keep the salon clean, make sure you're taking enough money. I remember thinking I was making so much money my first year self-employed. And so I spent it all because I was like, my life has changed. Like I have so much more money. And then I was hit with a $20,000 tax bill that first year. And I was like, fuck, I don't have any of this money. Like what I was supposed, I was supposed to be saving money. And there's yeah, so I'm, much to business that I wish I would have known. I'm going to be paying off the taxes for the time I was self-employed for the next like year and a half, like Aww. legit, yeah. <laughs> which is fine. Like it's, it's an experience that I'm very glad I had. I do not regret it. And it's weird because I was doing well, like it was going well. Mm-hmm. It was just really hard for me to actually turn it into making a profit. Yeah. And I, I think it's 
because of how I was doing it. You know, like it was just, I don't know. I have gotten so many questions about people. They're like, I know I'm making more money, but how come I'm not, I can't find it. And I'm like, because you think you're making more and you're bringing in money, but you're not thinking about your rent and your bills. And like, if you want to carry a full color line, that's a huge investment. I know a lot of like booth renters or chair renters only keep certain amount of color. And then if a client comes in wanting something outside of that scope, they almost have to know ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I always had to know ahead of time. It was just really hard. And there were some other, you know, things that aren't super relevant to this podcast that we're making it, (laughs) that we're making it a little more difficult, just like life stuff, you know, like my husband had just finished film school and he was on a journey and, you know, we had only been in New York for a certain amount of time. So it was just, it was just challenging really for me to sustain it. It just, what that's the way I always say it. It just wasn't sustainable the way I was doing it. Um, I do feel like I have a pretty good business mind though. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, um, I learned a lot and yeah, I don't know. And I think it's also good for people to know that it's okay. Like some people who go self-employed and get overwhelmed, like there are ways to work through it. And I think there's more support now with social media and stuff to know other people are in a similar position, but there's no shame or anything wrong with going back to being employed. Yeah. Yeah. It's been very good for me at this season of life. Like Mm. having, um, the stability has been very, very good. Good. That's awesome. Well, I feel like we covered such a huge (laughs) scope of stuff. I love it. Yeah. Who would have known? Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see like what other things we have in common because we really are like the same person. Yeah, I know. I need to come to Canada. Yeah. Well, we and Nick has family in Brooklyn. We were just there in in April. Shame we didn't meet then. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a total pleasure. It's not very often that you get to meet people that are so much the same and have had the same experience. And I think the wonderful thing about life is when people understand your experience. They don't try to wish it away. They don't try to make light of it or say that it wasn't a big deal, but really understand and aren't dwelling on it, but moving forward. And that's what I found in Shirley. She's just an amazing person that I am so thankful to connect with. And Instagram's so cool that way. Like you get to meet people that you might not meet in your day-to-day life that get you. So Shirley, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. It was such a blast. I can't wait till we get to meet in person one day. But for now, we will stay Facebook twin friends. Thank you guys for listening. I was so glad you got to join us. Um, Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. By your support in doing so, that helps get this podcast to more people, which then continues to let me bring this to you. All right. Until next week, guys. Have a good one.